Let me start with this. <clears throat> I mean, how do you follow up Easter and resurrection? How do you follow up? I mean, like last week, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the climactic moment in um, God's story where his son defeats sin and death, rises from the grave. Now, last week, we not only celebrated resurrection, but we celebrated Jesus himself as resurrection and life. We come to believe and understand that there is po the power of resurrection is in Jesus, and our hope isn't just that Easter happened, past tense, but that it happens. I love to say this every year, uh, and I will say it to my grave because it is so vital for under to understand that our hope isn't just that Easter took place, but that it continues to happen in people who come to know and follow Jesus. It continues to happen because Jesus is not just alive, but Jesus is alive in people, in us. And the promise is that those who come to believe in Christ uh, wake up to a new life. And if that's the longing in your heart, I pray that what we're walking through this morning will uh, encourage you. Many of us were just reminded of that last week as we walked through the resurrection story. But, but um, some, of, some of you who tuned in last week took a step of faith to actually put your trust and say, yes, I do believe in Christ. I, so the next few weeks, what we're going to do for all of us is help us understand what coming alive means. Help us understand what, what it looks like, what, what it means to grow in this life, what it means to live out that kind of life. Now, if you've been part of our church community for a while, you know that for the last couple of months leading up to Easter, we've been walking through seven specific statements of Jesus. They're called the I Am Statements. And uh, John, one of the first eyewitnesses of Jesus, one of his early followers who recorded Jesus' life and teachings, um, he records these seven statements. They're called I Am Statements, and Jesus assumes this title from, uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a, a story in, in Jewish history when God reveals himself to Moses and calls himself the I Am. In other words, he's saying, he who was, who is, and who will always be, that is my nature. That is who I am. God revealed himself to Moses in that way. And Jesus takes on kind of that revelation saying, I am God walking in the flesh and so as we walk through the first six statements, today we're going to walk through a seventh, and I believe that this final statement is a clue to this new life, is a clue to the way we can grow, is a clue to how we, this overflows into how we live. And so we're turning our final uh, message in this series into a three-week miniseries, like a spinoff. You know when there's spinoffs spin -off, off shows? Uh, that's kind of what we're doing today. And so here's this statement. We're going to read it together in John chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, if you don't got a Bible and you want to read this later on, uh, you can find it on our website or on the, on the internet for sure. John chapter 15, verse 1. Here's this statement, and then we'll continue with a few more words. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, I will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. God, as we jump into this last statement, as we jump into this text today, um, we pray that you would captivate our hearts, draw us close to you, reveal yourself to us um, in fresh ways, and for some of us, maybe for the first time. In your name we pray, amen. Did you catch the statement? Did you catch this last I am statement? Jesus said it twice. He said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we'll unpack most of this text together, but I want to just focus on a couple of things today. First thing, just the back story of this image, Jesus being a vine. The back story is that often Israel was called a vine, that Israel was God's vine, that God was doing something unique in Israel and was growing them and leading them and guiding them. And like the other I am statements, whether Jesus said, I am the bread, or I am the shepherd, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the resurrection, like the other statements, Jesus is fulfilling God's plans for Israel in himself. In other words, what God had started to do through this people called the Jews, he was fulfilling in his son, Jesus. Jesus becomes the fulfillment of Israel or the true Israelite. And like these other statements, if you think about Israel, Israel was meant always in God's purposes to be a model to the nations, to be a glimpse to the world, uh, what God could do in people. They sometimes did messed up on that, but God's intention was that they would be a model to the nations, that they would be a blessing to the nations, that they would welcome the nations in, that they would bring salvation to the nations. And so that was the heartbeat of this image, like all the other images. But then there's not just a backstory. There's just like the basic idea here. And you can read it. I mean, it's so simple when you read it off the page, right? I am the vine. You are the branches. The basic idea is that there's this dependence going on, this dependence that the branches have to the vine. Uh, last fall, I had hired a company to come and trim a few trees on my property. I don't have a large property. I live here in the West Island, and, and, uh, but there is three trees, and one very large one, a big, old, maybe 50 or 60-year-old silver maple. And uh, I had to hire a company to come do this because the trees are humongous, and it wasn't a cheap job, but it was an essential job. And they came, they spent like the whole day uh, with a truck and a lift, and um, someone, you know, one of them, one of the ladies was up in the tree snipping away. One of the guys was up in another tree, and one guy was on the truck. And by the end of the day, I mean, they cut like a whole lot of branches. And what we noticed over the winter and over the spring is that around our silver, silver maple, this kind of like this pile of branches kept growing. It was smaller than growing, growing, growing. It became about two feet off the tree and a circle, like a donut around the tree, about a foot and a half high, just of like branches. And it was, it was obvious to us what would happen. I mean, they trimmed the tree and then even the branches that they didn't tr trim, some of the ones that weren't really connected well or were weak, you know, they no longer had life. And they were actually dead. 
they were completely disconnected from the tree. And so they fell off and they just stayed on the floor. And it made me realize when I looked at that, just this reminder, the life of a branch on the vine is, or the life of the, the, sorry, the life of a branch is connected to the vine. The life of a branch is dependent on the vine that it's connected to. I think that's what I wrote on the screen. The life of a branch is dependent on the vine that it's connected to. Now, think about this for a second. Jesus is speaking directly to his first followers, his disciples. And he is preparing them in this section of John's gospel for life after his death and resurrection. He's soon going to point to the coming of his Holy Spirit. But the idea in what he's sharing right now is that they must depend on him for this new life that they started to discover and started to experience in him. So let me say that phrase one more time, but make it more personal. The life of a person is dependent on the source it's connected to. The life of a person is connected to the source it's connected to, is dependent on the source it's connected to. And you know exactly what this means. Because there are things in your life that you are connected to that you tend to depend on, whether they're good or bad, whether they're right or wrong, whether they truly give you life or not, you know that whatever you're sourced into, whatever you're connected to, tends to give you life, maybe debilitating life, maybe not exactly the life you're looking for, maybe an initial boost of life or pleasure, but is it long-lasting? And we're realizing that today. People are talking about this with the economy and with the things that we're dependent on and the systems we've propped up to keep us happy, asking, like, do these things really last forever? And so here, the disciples, they're learning about life in Jesus. And as Jesus is saying this, I can imagine they're thinking of their former dependencies or maybe the things that they're slightly still dependent on but slowly detaching themselves from. The religious system that they were a part of, a part of that religious system was the sacrificial system that they practiced. Their national and ethnic identity, though it was an important piece of who they were, Jesus was drawing them, calling them, expanding their vision to see that he was coming to bring life to the world and not just the Jews. Part of their hope to be freed out of Rome's oppression um, was something they depended on. And then normal things like you and me, right? Like money, time, um, stature, reputation, ambition. How many of us are dependent on these things? like a branch is connected to a vine or a tree. So Jesus is teaching them and helping them understand that not only is he fulfilling God's plans for Israel in himself for the world, but that in him, as they stay connected to him, they find new life because Jesus is a new source and there's a new dependence. And so now they start to discover a new story and a new worldview and a new vision, and a new possibility. And some of it has connections to their past, but it's slowly making way to become everything God wanted it to be. And it doesn't just happen right in the text we're looking at. Of course, as you read through the New Testament and the story of the early church, you start to discover this new life that started to transform the Roman Empire in the first couple of centuries and the world around itself. Paul, when he's asked about what the kingdom is like, he talks about that there's righteousness, God's purposes, or God's justice, peace, 
God's shalom or God's well-being, and joy, God's very presence that just changes someone's life, that these are elements of God's kingdom and that this new life reflects God's kingdom. But I want to focus on something that Jesus seems to describe here in this text, and it's just one line. It's in verse 3. It kind of talks about this fresh slate, this this fresh start, this this clean slate. And if there's one idea I want to get across today, it's this idea that in Christ we have a fresh start or a clean slate. Do you remember when you were a kid, there was that kind of rectangular screen that was only gray? it, It looks nothing like an iPad or anything with color. But you could, with kind of two little circles, you could draw a couple of things on it. And because it was magnetic, magnetic, when you were done with it or you messed up or it didn't really work well, there was this little lever and you kind of like pulled the lever and it erased everything. And so whatever was there, good or bad, and, or all the mistakes you made going along with it, you're like, oh, let me start all over. And it was like, bang, just refresh the page. I was thinking about that when I think about this fresh start, this, this clean slate. And Jesus tells the disciples something in verse 3. He tells them actually, He says, you are already clean. In fact, the word clean and the word prune that that Jesus uses here is a very similar root meaning. And so Jesus is getting at a very similar idea that the, the disciples that started following him, they have already been made clean. They're reminded, Jesus is reminding them, something already happened to you. That's what he's telling them. Something already happened to you that has given you a clean slate, that has cleansed you, that has forgiven you, that has given you a fresh start, that has woken you up to a new life. And Jesus says, you're already made clean. You've already started this new life. And I know many of us in our church community might be able to relate to that, that, oh yeah, God has already done something in me that has given me a fresh start. I've already experienced that. Of course, some of you listening here are thinking, I want that fresh start. I want that clean slate. But here's what Jesus says. He says, you've already been made clean or you've already been given a fresh start. And this is how. He says, because of the word I have spoken to you. Because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, man, if you're not familiar with this language or familiar with the Bible a little bit, you might think, well, what is this like some magical spell that Jesus says, like in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, abracadabra, boom, you're done. Like that's really not what Jesus is getting at. It's not some magical spell that just wakes people up. Or if you're someone that's waiting from a magical kiss from a prince or a princess that'll wake you up. No, no. What Jesus is speaking about, this word that he has spoken to them is the message of God's kingdom is what we call the gospel or the good news that God has come into this world to rescue humanity and restore them to, their, to our original purpose. We were made as image bearers in God's image and God's created us for a different, unique kind of life, but we're missing that in the brokenness of our world. And so this good news has been said in different ways. Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. That's one form of this word. That's one way of saying this gospel or this good news. It says, this is the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, God has come into our world through his son, Jesus. And then Jesus says in that, something new has happened here. Heaven 
is breaking into earth. And then Jesus says in that same sentence in Mark 1, he says, repent and believe this good news, this word I'm speaking to you. Another form that this good news sounds like is we looked at this last week. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he told the person he was speaking to in that, in that story, he says, those who believe in me will come alive, will live. He, see, he speaks this word, this resurrection word, this life-giving word, this gospel word, and he invites us to believe and come alive because of the word he's spoken to us. He, he says it in another form. Early on in the Gospels, when he starts to call his disciples, the, this little two-word phrase pops up often. Jesus says, follow me, follow me. Come and take your cues from me. Call me Lord of your life. Let me lead you. That's also the good news, that Jesus is Lord, and we can find um, authority in his words and follow him. But later on, he qualifies the follow me, and he says, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, there's in Jesus' words to us, he's inviting us to die to ourselves and live in him. So it's this call, this word, this invitation. And when people heard Jesus' word, his good news, his invitation, and responded to that word, something happened in them. They began to come alive. They began to discover life. They began to discover that life in his kingdom was qualitatively different. And so we come to this language in John 15, to be clean, to be pruned, to start a new life, to have a clean start, a fresh start. So back to my trees, you know, on my lot. This was last fall where these trees were pruned, and, and uh, I saw two results. The first result I saw was that I remember leaving these people doing the job and coming back, and I immediately noticed a couple of things. The trees were lighter. The, the branches that were formerly drooping down through the pruning, pruning started propping up, and, and they just looked more alive. They looked like the trees were dancing in some ways. And the light of the sun was coming through the branches. In fact, in fact light came into our front window like nothing else, like the day before was so different. And then through this pruning, something beautiful happened. Light was coming through, and this, this, something this tree was desperately needing. In fact, you'll notice that trees grow towards the sun. And so one of the reasons that, that pruners prune the inside of the tree is so light can come in, and, and the inside of the tree can grasp that energy and grasp that source. But the next thing I think the result is going to be, and I haven't seen it yet, I will see it this spring, is new growth is going to happen because this tree has been cleaned. This tree has been pruned. And now this tree is ready for a fresh start. Now, unfortunately, it's not an apple or a pear tree because if it was, it would actually bear fruit. It's just going to bear leaves and helicopters, which I got to clean. But if it was a fruit tree, it would bear fruit. And so it becomes ready for a fresh start and a clean slate. And I want you to have that image in your mind as you hear Jesus' words to the disciples. You're already clean. Or maybe to some of you who need to hear this word for the first time, you can have a fresh start. But the disciples were already in the cleansing process, the pruning process, and Jesus says, you have already been given a fresh start. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to grow in that fresh start. But for today, I just want to hold on to this idea 
of being given a fresh start. And Jesus and the New Testament often describe what it means to wake up to a new life. One of the images is that the old life or the part of our lives that was was entrenched in sin and brokenness has gone or been defeated by Christ and the cross and the resurrection and cleaned up and something new is growing. In fact, one of Jesus' earliest followers named Paul, who, whose life was just filled with hatred and injustice, he was killing Christians and he was raging mad. When, Jesus, when he met Jesus, something happened in him. He was also given a fresh start. This is how Paul describes it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, the old has been gone or, or died, and now he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and now I live. Something new is coming, is growing. I want you to just consider the biblical language here that's so vital. So I'm going to take you back just for a second here to an Old Testament text. It's Ezekiel chapter 36. And God, through Ezekiel, was already telling Israel what was coming, what they could anticipate, what, this, what, what the fullness of God's plan would look like. And I want, I want you to read with me off the screen what, what Ezekiel says, verse 25 in chapter 36. And listen to these words. This is God speaking through Ezekiel, saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Now listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Did you catch some of that language? New heart, new spirit. The difference between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh? What, what's, what's Ezekiel saying? What's God telling us is going to happen? He's going to say that at some point, through the work of Jesus on the cross, through the work of his spirit, post the resurrection, those who come to believe in him and put their life in him, they will no longer have a hard heart that just kind of like doesn't let anything stick, doesn't let anything come in, but they're gonna, their hearts become soft, become malleable. So the work of God's Spirit can actually come close and infiltrate and work and influence. And all of a sudden, God starts to work in that soft flesh heart where he couldn't in that hard stone heart. And how this new life grows is what God says in verse 27, I will put my Spirit in you and I will move you towards the life that God longs for us. Theologians call this the new covenant. There was an old covenant with Israel, this new covenant in Jesus, a new heart, a new spirit, God's very spirit in us. In fact, the language of the New Testament is so radical, and it's a word that sometimes gets mis misused and labeled in wrong ways, and it's unfortunate, but you know, some people just label themselves with this and they act crazy, so people don't love the word. But this is the word in the New Testament. The phrase is born again. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus who is part of the Roman Empire, a soldier, a centurion, and Nicodemus is searching for Jesus, is longing to discover who Jesus is and what he's about and, and how he can find this, this life in him. And this is what Jesus says. He says, you must be born again. But then he says this to Nicodemus. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water 
and the Spirit. To be born again is these two things, right? To be born of water and the Spirit. The water reflects or represents the cleansing, the fresh start, the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And to be born of Spirit means that now this new source, God's very own Spirit will dwell in us, lead us, and guide us. I just want to put all these pieces together. Jesus' words, the words in Ezekiel, these words to Nicodemus. And what we have here is this. We have a clean slate. We have a fresh start. We have a new opportunity. We have a life that is only possible in Jesus, but that when we put our trust in Jesus, something extraordinarily new takes place. And that's my longing for all of us. And, you know, I want to remind us this, of this. Post-Easter, because Easter didn't just happen. It happens. And Easter can happen in us. And for those of us who have been following Christ for a while, whether it's been a year or two or 20 or 30 years, I want us to remember this is who you are. Maybe this recent situation, what's going on in the world is shaking you up, is making you look at your life and your heart, making you even wonder, you know, how, how serious you have been with your faith or following Jesus. I want to remind you this morning, this is who you are. If you've put your trust in Christ over the last year or 20, 30 years, whatever, Christ has done this in you. You've responded to him. He's made you clean. He's given you a fresh start. And I want to remind you of that that we move forward from a fresh start, from a clean slate, from the work of God's Spirit in us. I want to remind us of that. I need that reminder too because sometimes I go through days and I go through moments and especially right now I look and say, God, what are you doing? God, what's happening? God, how can we get out of this? God, how do you want us to live in the middle of this? And then I'm reminded, oh, wait a second. God has put me on a new trajectory in Christ when I put my faith in him, and he's been growing me and molding me and shaping me. And the kind of life, even in the middle of these chaotic moments or dark moments in history, we can walk through because God is leading us, God is guiding us. Maybe some of you for the first time, you're thinking like, I want to experience this. I want those words of Jesus to tell me I'm already clean. Well, I'd invite you to put your trust in him, put your faith in him, take a next step in believing in him. So for all of us listening, here's a, here's a question, and I'll leave it with you. Are you ready for something new? Are you ready for something new? Whether it's a first time new in putting your trust in Christ, are you ready for something like that? Or, if you've been following Christ for a while, are you ready to be reminded that God can still do new things in and through you because of the new thing he did in you before? Are you ready for something new? And I, I would bet anything on this, that the world right now needs this more than ever. You and I need this. You who are watching for the first time need this. Those of us who've been following Christ for a while need to be reminded of this. The world is walking through a darker season, and sometimes we wonder, can God do something fresh? I want to tell you, he can do something fresh in us and around us. And the renewal we long for and the revival we pray for often comes from the ashes, just like we sang this morning. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat, your resurrected power is leading me and guiding me. Let me pray with you today.
Our Heavenly Father, we didn't get a chance to to revel in the fact that you're also the gardener and the one who guides us and leads us and nurtures us. So prepare our hearts for as we unpack that next week a little bit more. But we say thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing, for the sending of your son, Jesus, for the resurrection we celebrated last week that we recognize did not only happen but continues to happen and can happen in new and fresh in people's lives. God, for many of us right now, Maybe asking that question, am I ready for something new? Oh God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would come to long for and recognize and turn to you. Whether it's for the first time today or maybe to be reminded that yes, you have done something new in us and we've let it get clouded over the last little while. But we long for a fresh experience with you. And so we humbly come before you and thank you for your cleansing, for your pruning, for what you have done, your words spoken in the gospel, in the good news, in the declaration of Jesus. And as we respond to that word, that you give us the, the, the way and prepare the way for a fresh start. And just like spring, as things are popping up and growing up and starting to bud, God, that's what we long for in our hearts right now today. And we just, we say that we welcome that in Jesus' name. We welcome your work in us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.